Welcome back to Lethal. Let's talk about death row inmates. This week, I'll be covering a Texas death row inmate. This week, I'll be covering a Texas death row inmate. I'll be covering Blaine Keith Milam. He was convicted for the death of his fiance's 13th month old daughter. Hey y'all, I can't believe this is my last episode for 2020. I just wanted to let y'all know I will be releasing my second mini episode tomorrow. In my mini episode, I'll go over all the death row inmates that I have written to, who has written me back, and what I have responded back to them. I wrote to Blaine Milam and I received my first letter from him last week. Unfortunately, at this time, I will not be able to go into detail about what we have talked about due to his circumstances at this time, but I did want to let you know that is why I'm covering his story. Before we jump into the case, let's go over some facts. I usually talk about death row facts, but I will be going over some things that are covered in this specific case. Christina Melton Crane Unit is located in Gatesville, Texas. It's different from the Mountain View Unit that's also located in Gatesville, Texas. This unit does not hold death row inmates, but one inmate I talk about in this case is held here. This unit is TDCJ's largest female prison in Texas. I'm also going to talk about the stages that follow death. Pallor mortis is the first stage. This occurs 15 to 20 minutes after death. The body becomes pale at this time. Algor mortis, the second stage, is when the body temperature drops after death. This is a steady decline until reach surrounding temperatures. Rigor mortis is when the body becomes stiff. The body becomes difficult to move. Liver mortis is when the blood settles in the lower part of the body. This causes discoloration of the skin, usually a purple color. Putrefaction is when the body starts to decompose. I wanted to give y'all some facts that would be helpful when you're listening to this specific case. So let's get right into it. So once again, I have a glass of wine and I'm ready to jump into the case. This week, I'll be covering inmate number 999-558, Blaine Keith Milam. He has been given his execution date already. He is scheduled to be executed January 21st, 2021. He will be the first death row inmate to be executed in Texas in 2021. That's less than a month away. Blaine was born December 12, 1989. His highest education level completed was fourth grade. He was only 18 when he committed this crime. He's been sitting on death row for 10 years and five months. So I wanted to give y'all a trigger warning. This case is very gruesome and it involves a 13th month old baby. When I write to death row inmates, it surprises me every time I get a response back. They're kind and seem like normal people. I like to be unbiased when I respond to their letters, but I eventually look into their cases in full detail. I'm not for the death penalty, and I'm not against it. The point of me writing to death or inmates is so I can form my own opinion. I think each case is different, and each case needs to be evaluated in detail. So I will be going over Blaine Milam's case. This story starts out with Blaine Milam and his ex-fiance, Jessica Carson. She had a 13-month-old baby named Amora at the time. According to casetext.com, on December 2, 2008, Blaine called 911 and stated, I quote, My name is Blaine Milam and my daughter, I just found her dead. End quote. 
When police arrived to their trailer home, two ambulances were already on the scene. The baby was unresponsive, laying on the floor, and bruised. Blaine and Jessica were separated by investigators so they could be questioned separately. Blaine told police that they left Amora in the trailer by herself for at least an hour. The couple walked up the road to meet a man named Clark. They were meeting with Clark because he was going to clear some land for them. When they got back to the trailer, they found Amora deceased. During questioning, Blaine was said to be calm and cooperative with the investigators. When investigators got both of their stories, he read their Miranda rights to the couple and they were taken to the station for further questioning and to collect their clothing for possible evidence. Miranda rights are read to criminal suspects in police custody. When police observed the couple, they looked like grieving parents, not suspects. When Blaine was being questioned in the patrol car, he told investigators he had no involvement with his baby girl's murder. He gave the interviewer a list of possible suspects and stated whoever did this to Amora should be hung. When Blaine was walking the interviewer through the story for the second time, his story matched up again. He said when they walked back into the trailer, Amora was found on the floor, not in her crib like they left her. He said she was found in a hole in the trailer home. He was remodeling the bathroom at the time. That's why there was a hole. But his story started to slightly change. He said his fiance Jessica called 911 when they discovered that Amora wasn't in her crib. And when she was found, she was already dead. The investigator wasn't buying Blaine's story. He said he believed Blaine beat the child. He was the only male in the household at the time. But Blaine said he would take a polygraph test to clear his name. So let's stop here real quick. Never take a polygraph test, especially if you don't have a lawyer present. You should only take a polygraph test if you are advised by your lawyer. Even if you're innocent, you shouldn't take a polygraph test. I've told my husband that too. Okay, let's get back into it. When Jessica was interviewed, she played the distraught mother role. She was crying and couldn't believe her child was dead. But something odd occurred during the interview. Her attitude changed. Instead of referring to her 13-month-old daughter as Amora or her baby, she referred to the baby as that baby. When Jessica started to refer to the baby as that baby instead of by her name or calling her my baby, I think this was a way for Jessica to disconnect herself from Amora and dissociate herself from any emotion with what had just occurred. I think she probably couldn't process or didn't want to believe what was happening, so the best way to show no emotion is to disconnect from how her real feelings were. When Amora was assessed by the medical examiner, it was determined that her death was homicidal violence. According to case text, she had 24 human bite marks all over her body. She had facial bruises and scrapes. She actually had bruises, scrapes, and abrasions all over her body from head to toe. There was bleeding underneath the scalp, extensive fracturing to the back of the skull, bleeding between the brain and the skull, a laceration to the brain tissue, as well as swelling, bleeding, and bruising. Bleeding around the optic nerve, bleeding in the eyes and around the jugular vein, fractures to the right arm and legs, 18 rib fractures, a tear to the liver, and injury to the genitals. According to caselaw.finelaw.com, her vaginal and anal orifices were so torn that the vagina and rectum were actually connected.
All these injuries were fresh, indicating there was no old sign of abuse. But by the time the police were called, Amora was already in rigor mortis. Seeing how badly Amora was beat, investigators started to check Blaine and Jessica's alibi. Clark denied ever meeting with the couple on December 2nd. Remember, the couple originally said they were meeting up with Clark to see if he could clear out some land for them, but he never saw them. Investigators also discovered that the couple went to a pawn shop as soon as it opened. They pawned a chainsaw and an air impact tool. Shortly after, Blaine called his sister, Teresa, around 9.30 in the morning and told her he found Amora dead. She advised him to call 911, but he didn't call 911 until 10.37 a.m. Investigators conducted a second search on December 11th at the trailer. They determined that the scene of the crime was in the master bedroom due to bloodstains that were consistent with blunt force trauma. Investigators also collected blood-stained bedding, blood-stained baby clothes, a bloody diaper, bloody wipes, lube, and stained jeans. Police sent those items to be tested for DNA. The DNA showed that Amora's blood was on the bloody items. Blaine's sister, Teresa, went to visit him in jail on December 13th. Blaine told her she needed to get back to the trailer to get rid of some of the evidence from underneath the trailer. Teresa told police she needed to get to the trailer as soon as possible because of the statement her brother told her. Police got a search warrant and found a pipe wrench inside a clear plastic bag. The pipe had traces of lube on it. The baby's diaper actually had traces of lube on it as well. Dr. Robert Williams was brought in because he is a forensic odontologist. He was brought in to compare the bite marks on Amora's body to Blaine, Jessica, and Blaine's brother's dental molds. Blaine matched eight bite marks. Jessica was excluded from all the bite marks except for one, and Blaine's brother was excluded from all of the bite marks. While Blaine was in jail, he called over one of the nurses and handed her a note that said the following, I quote, I'm going to confess. I did it. But Miss Shirley, the Blaine you know, did not do this. My dad told me to be a man, and I've been reading my Bible. Please tell Jessica I love her. End quote. When the trial started, Blaine's defense was focused on Jessica as the one that murdered Amora. Heather Carson, Jessica's mother, was called to the stand. She stated that Blaine and Jessica started to date in January 2008 and got engaged after a few months. He proposed to her on prom night. Jessica and Amora moved in with Blaine and his parents. When Jessica turned 18, she received money from her father's death. It was an insurance settlement. I don't have any details about that. But after she received the money, her mother saw a drastic change in Jessica. She stopped caring about the way she looked, her attitude changed, and she also started to accuse her mother of serious allegations that I will be getting into, but these allegations were not true. Her mother ended up disconnecting from her daughter, Jessica. Another woman was called to the stand. She said her daughter was best friends with Jessica. She said Jessica was an outgoing and loving girl. She said Blaine, Jessica, and Amora visited her multiple times, but noticed an odd change in Jessica's attitude. She wasn't the outgo outgoing girl she used to be. She said, I quote, There was a drastic change in Jessica's demeanor. She was weird, hollow, like empty. Looking into her eyes was like looking into a dark space, 
end quote. She also noticed Jessica wasn't taking care of Amora anymore. Blaine was the one feeding her and changing the baby's diaper. She was concerned about Jessica and how her attitude had changed. This is what supposedly happened that night, according to Jessica's case file. Obviously, when Jessica was on trial, she blamed everything on Blaine, and when Blaine was on trial, he blamed everything on Jessica. So this is the story. Blaine and Jessica would use a Ouija board to try to talk to their deceased fathers. The Ouija board told Jessica that her mother killed her father, and this was the bizarre accusation that Jessica accused her mother of. Jessica soon after started to believe that the apartment they lived in was possessed by evil spirits. Jessica started to believe Blaine was possessed by an evil spirit because of his demeanor. On December 1st, 2008, Blaine woke up Jessica and told her Amora was possessed by a demon. He said the baby was walking around, but she was too young to walk around, according to him. Blaine then told Jessica that he needed to perform an exorcism on Amora because God told him to do it. I just wanted to let y'all know this is what was on the case file. Jessica compared Amora to Chucky or Pet Cemetery. She said, I quote, the boy dies and comes back to life all evil and stuff, end quote. So she was trying to compare her baby Amora to these horror movies. Jessica said she could hear the baby screaming and crying in the trailer during the so-called exorcism. Jessica said she went to check out Amora in the bedroom and she went in and she was not hurt or harmed. She said Blaine was tempted to sell his soul to the devil so that Amora could be released by the devil. But Jessica pleaded with him not to. She didn't want him to be trapped with the devil. He then proceeded back into the bedroom to continue the exorcism. Jessica said she could hear banging and screaming, and the screaming was from the demon being released from Amora's body. She said, I quote, She would rather Amora go to heaven now than spend a life with Satan having her soul, end quote. Jessica said they lied to police because they knew police would never believe their story. It was said that Jessica and Blaine were on drugs that night. Blaine was sentenced to death and Jessica was sentenced to life in prison. She was not sentenced to death because there was no evidence to prove that she was responsible for the murder of Amora. Blaine is currently serving at the Polensky Unit in Livingston, Texas, and Jessica is currently serving out her sentence at the Christina Melton Crane Unit in Gatesville, Texas. So, what do you think? Is Blaine guilty or is he innocent and only confessed so his fiancée Jessica wouldn't be blamed for Amora's death? Let me know what you think. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow for my second mini episode. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Go follow my Insta, lethal underscore podcast, and feel free to shoot me an email at lethal.tcpodcast at gmail.com. Also, I got a Twitter. Go follow me at lethal underscore podcast. Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday for a new case and a new inmate. I'll be covering a new death row inmate in a new state. All the sources used in my podcast came from the following sources. tdcj.texas.gov, casetext.com, caselaw.finelaw.com, and Wikipedia. Thanks for listening and see y'all tomorrow.